0: And now it's time for a Hit and Run on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score and on the Marquee Sports Network. Here's Matt Spiegel.
1: Welcome back in to Hit and Run here on 670 The Score and the Marquee Sports Network. We are live talking about baseball in this unique two-team town every Sunday from 9, usually until 12, sometimes until The Cubs pregame, and that is the case today on 670. The score, uh, up until about 11.55 or so, we'll be with you on marquee for the next 30 minutes. Lots has gone on in the show already. We already talked to Justin Stone, the director of Hitting, for the Cubs. That was a really fun conversation. A little bit later on this hour, we'll check in with Jack McMullen of Just Baseball. He was in Indianapolis last night and saw Hayden Wesneski and Kyle Hendricks in a doubleheader. But right now, let's go out to the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And that's where we find Taylor McGregor of Marquee. The Cubs reporter, I want to say sideline, but that's not right, Taylor. We say on-field reporter, but you do a lot of investigative work and uh, deep dives into all kinds of stuff. So there's, um, there's a lot to talk about with Taylor McGregor. And well, you- I
2: guess you could just call me intrepid reporter, whether that's on the field, in the sideline, in the clubhouse, whatever it needs to be.
1: Intrepid is, <laughs> uh, is outstanding. It's usually reserved for war correspondence, but we'll, uh, we'll do it for, uh, for baseball reporter as well. Um, Taylor, I want to ask you, um, overall on this team, some bad losses, some tight games, two and nine and one run games, but I continue to see a very smart fundamental team, that has a good process, and I believe they're going to get back to a better record because of that consistency. You agree?
2: I would agree with you. I think you look at individual performances, and there's a lot of things to be really excited about. I mean, obviously, recently it's Christopher Morrell, what he's brought, but even Seiya Suzuki heating up as of late, you know, Dansby Swanson, Nico Horner, and Ian Happ have been consistent all season long, and then there's a lot of starters to be really excited about. I know the biggest piece that people are questioning right now is the bullpen, Um, but I'm hopeful that history will repeat itself, and over the course of 162 games, those those coaches will really work hard to be able to manipulate some of um, guys' time and and whatever it may be to finally get some outs on the back end of games. But I'm with you. I think this team is better than their record shows right now. And I'm encouraged, I think by 162 games that it'll eventually hit the mean.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. I, I, I get made fun of a lot on this radio station because I excitedly said in spring training, the Cubs floor is 80 wins. That's the floor. And my partner, Danny Parkins is like, I don't think you understand what a floor means, like in in, in gambling parlance. But I, I said that because the design of the team is pitch to contact, play great defense, and have a lot of contact uh, as an offense, and get on base. And the fact that that design is playing out is kind of. What gives me maintains confidence they know what kind of team they're trying to build, and they know what they don't have, so we've seen some aggressive moves like Mervis and morell coming coming up, and Eric Hosmer designated for assignment because they know what they have to fix, and they seem to be as a front office intent on giving David Ross the best twenty six hopefully sooner rather than later.
2: no doubt about it, and we've seen them be really good at turning ground balls into outs as you mentioned, um, some contact at the top of the order, and then I think you've seen more slug. Um, I think in the month of May, you would like to see them cut down on the punch rate. Uh, I think it's the the worst in major league baseball for the month of May. So certainly some things to improve upon there, but again, over the course of a season, I think what you mentioned of just, they know what they want to achieve and over the course of a, a full season, I think they're, they're going to get there. So um, we'll see. I try not to hit the panic button at any point in baseball, because that's what it is, is there's, Certainly ups and downs, and that's why you play the full 162. So a lot of encouraging signs, but there are pieces that need to be fixed as well.
1: This is Hit and Run on 670 The Score and on the Marquee Sports Network for this 30 minutes. Um, Taylor McGregor is with us. So, all right, I envy your spot. You're always down there next to the dugout. Is that consistent? I know it's that way at home. I guess it depends on what the road stadium can allow, but to the left of the dugout, with a clear view into the dugout, this seems to be your steady perch. I see the the videos that you post from that angle that are completely unique. Um, so, is that where you always are?
2: Yeah, for the most part. I mean, you mentioned it. Different stadiums have different spots for reporters, so sometimes we're on the inside of the camera well, um, basically right by David Ross and the manager. Um, you know, on the inside of of that dugout but Mm -hmm. for the most part right down there and yeah it makes it a lot of fun you know i I try not to ever take for granted that position because it is it's pretty fun to be right down there and be able to see into the dugout see what guys are doing and you know i feel like our tv crew does a good job of showing things that are happening but you know we can't show everything and so um it's fun to be down there and (laughs) to to get that kind of access
1: yeah you must withhold all kinds of good stuff i mean (laughs) right i mean you've got You've got secrets. You see you see things you can't share, obviously. But what I envy is you get to see the body language up close of these players. And that that informs you to kind of get to know these players as people aside from conversation, just seeing how they go about it, how they feel about certain things, how they react. And that informs how they play. Right. I mean, that's some of the stuff that fascinates me about the game the most. You get to see that kind of stuff all the time.
2: Yeah, I, I do think, and that's something that I've really learned to watch, I would say, over my time as a field reporter. This is my sixth season covering baseball, and it's something that I've definitely paid more attention to. Um, you know, even guys, you know, some are so even keeled and you couldn't tell if they were 0 for 5 or 5 for 5. And then on the other hand, you know, the opposite of that, it's it's very easy to tell some guys who, who struggled at the plate. Um, and so paying attention to those little details, it informs me, too, on how to interview them. and when to approach them, when not to approach them, and, and just sort of sensitivities there. So I, I always kind of take all that information and, and try to use it towards my job because just like human beings, these <laughs> players are human beings and we all react differently.
1: Absolutely. I'm giggling because I'm thinking of times in the clubhouse and times on the field when we, if you talk to somebody in the wrong moment, oh my God. Taylor, I, yeah. uh, I, my first time ever with a press pass, I was at Emerson College. And I was on the field at Fenway Park, and I was completely overwhelmed. And a bunch of guys are standing around the uh, the batting cage and taking BP, and it's power hitters. I'm old. So it was Mickey Tettleton and Nick Asaski and Jack Clark and and Tom Brunansky, right? And these guys are hitting bombs. And I'm standing there, and I, I go up uh, to Jack Clark, and I say, hey, can you talk for a minute? And he says... All right. And he comes over, he talks to me, right? And I'm like, uh that was, that was that was pretty cool. You guys uh you guys uh hitting home runs and just kinda hanging around talking. And he pauses and he looks at me and he says, Are we gonna do this F an interview or what? You know, just blows up on me completely. I was I deserved it. I thoroughly deserved it. You know, it's like you got to get right to it. You're doing a job. They're doing a job, too. There's no uh, there's no glad handing and and kind of Chris Farley. That was pretty cool. You can't do you can't do any of that in your line of work.
2: Well, I think it's it's interesting because somebody from like me who's in the clubhouse every single day, I try to find a balance of talking to guys and conversing with them as well as getting information. So, you know, I don't want every single time that I approach a guy to be about information or getting information, because then it feels like this one Ray relationship. Like it's really important for me to build relationships with players. And I want them to know that I care about them as human beings, more than just baseball players. So um, it's funny because I do think there's definitely a balance of yes, getting in there, getting your work done. Um, but for me, like I try to touch base with guys outside of any interviews or anything that I need um, to just try to build that relationship, so they don't always feel like every time I approach them it's because I need something. So
1: it's not always transactional. That makes all the sense in the world. You're you're a part you're a part of the the machinery. You're on the team flights, right? So. It's uh, it's a completely understandable thing and a, a very different um, situation than a twenty-year-old Matt Spiegel with a Club press pass for the for the first time. It's uh, that's te-
2: intimidating though. Oh, I remember my first time in a major league clubhouse. I was actually, um, I was an intern in Pittsburgh with AT and T Sportsnet. Well, this was one of my first times, not my actual first time, but one of the first times that stands out. And AJ Burnett was with the Pirates at the time, and um he had a reputation to not put up with, you know, some of this small talk or, you know, some of the shenanigans of the media. And he let all of us in the clubhouse know that day. And it was terrifying. (laughs) And I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, is this what we have to deal with every single day? I mean, he lost it uh, because one of the reporters was kind of leaning up against one of the chairs in the clubhouse and um, uh, as you know, as the guy's been in the clubhouse,, like, you're not supposed to sit on any of the furniture. That's mm-hmm. all for the players. And so um, yeah, he was not happy and kind of let everybody know. And it was super intimidating because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. And um, you always uh, always have to be able to kind of navigate those situations and also understand not to take them personally, because I think that's what I did when I was young in this business. Like if a guy snapped at me or whatever, I took it personally, like, oh, Whatever. And now I'm like, it says more probably about where they're at, you know, the performance they had on the field the night before, things that are going on that I don't know about than it says about me. So, uh, it certainly it certainly takes confidence to walk into a major league clubhouse, or no doubt about it.
1: There's Taylor McGregor with us here on Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel on six seventy The Score, and on the Marquee Sports Network uh, for this this half hour. Um, so, who are the most open guys to talk shop with you on this Cubs team? Who will share something that can really inform the broadcast?
2: You know, I think we have a really good group of guys. Um, I think there's a lot that I feel comfortable. Or a lot of them that I feel comfortable reaching out to and and talk and shop with. Um, I, th- I put Jan Gomes at the top of that list. I think he's kind of stepped into a leadership role with this group. He's phenomenal. Ian Happ is always super insightful and a guy who's really plugged in himself to the analytics and a lot of what goes on outside of just showing up every day and being on the field. He understands the bigger picture. Um, so I think he can be really insightful. I think Dansby Swanson's um, been fun to talk to and a guy who kind of understands again, life outside of baseball and can kind of wrap it all together. Um, uh, Cody Bellinger for me has been super pleasant to be around. He's, you know, for former MVP, the guy's about as normal as it comes. And um, he's just been awesome to get to know and awesome to talk baseball with. And, you know, the list goes on and on. I really, I don't think there's one guy in the clubhouse who I don't feel comfortable approaching, um, which is, which is awesome. Cause it's not always that way. Mm-hmm. Um in different clubhouses. So I I do think there's a really good group in the Cubs clubhouse and um, a lot of guys super willing to share information. And I think a lot of that comes with just, again, building those relationships, being in the clubhouse every day. And so I feel fortunate that, um, you know, I've had the chance to do that.
1: So want to ask about you as a baseball fan or a baseball thinker um, for all of us who work in the game. Um, I I was told by a, a mutual friend that you went on kind of a, a statistical journey, if you will. Um, and as somebody who has been lectured by Boog Shambi myself, uh, I'm wondering where you are and your appreciation of certain numbers and if, uh, if Boog will deign to talk to you about stats these days.
2: It's funny. I think understanding the statistical side the analytical side of baseball's actually made me fall more in love with the game and, and understanding things kind of at a deeper level and and not having to say okay this guy is punching out a lot well, why is he punching out a lot just like understanding okay in addition to hitting a lot of homers like he has you know he's punching out 10% more of the time than league average and, and just like kind of understanding things to put it all into the bigger picture of the way that you construct a lineup. Um, and even just understanding like defensively and, you know, I, I get the defensive run saved stats every single day and I love looking through those. And, mm. um, and sometimes like, especially with defensive runs, runs saved, you can't always trust it because metrically Ian Happ doesn't grade out very well in left field. And this is a guy who won a gold glove a year ago. So there's things that you also have to pick through of like, okay, well, why is he not grade out well in this and understanding just kind of the way it all fits together. So yeah, I I would say I've gone on a statistical journey. And um, (laughs) one of the things that would, would crack Boog up is, you know, especially with this Cubs team, the last month, there's been so much talk about runners and scoring position. And, and I used to totally buy into like, Well, they're not hitting well with runners in scoring position. And, and now I'm totally on the side of like, okay, at the end of a season, the quote unquote runners in scoring position is going to be almost the exact same as the team batting average. And so let's not, you know, get over dramatic. Oh, this team can't hit with runners in scoring position. Well, that probably means that overall the team's not a good hitting team. Um, or overall, the team is a good hitting team. And again, like over the course of a season, all of that's going to work itself out. Oh my God. Um, I feel like then, I'm
1: talking to Boog here. I know.
2: <laughs> I know. And then, and then I just want to add this on it. Cause I think there's people at home being like, well, there are certain people, you know, there's good numbers in the postseason or whatever. Yes. And I'm like, yes, because they're good hitters. You know, like oh I God. was, I was talking to a, a guy who makes a lot of decisions and he's very high up. Um in with an organization in baseball and and he was like yeah well the clutch gene you know like there are good players who come up clutch i'm like yeah because they're good hitters and they don't have holes like if i need a, a hit in oh. game seven of the world series who do i want up there i want one of the best hitters in major league baseball so right. for instance in this conversation i was having freddie like we were in la i'm like i want freddie freeman at the plate so anyways that we're getting off on or I'm getting off on a tangent here, but yes, i'm I've I'm exhausted. A Taylor, journey, frankly, and some people are going to hate me because I used to hate people who did stuff like this, but i've 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 studied the numbers and I understand the other side now. And um but again, i I think it's made me fall more in love with the game. So for me personally, it's been fun.
1: I you know, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just so <laughs> disgusted with the line of, the line of thought. Because Clutch exists. Here's why Clutch, call it the absence of choke, okay? Because we all know people who have choked in certain situations and not been the best versions of themselves.
2: Okay, okay. Okay. Let me, me, sorry, now I'm cutting you off. I guess the argument to that is you're not getting paid for a quote-unquote Clutch gene, whatever it is, Um, because the way that analytics view it is that's not necessarily repeatable. I know, but, but,
1: but people make that decision to pay. I would argue that Kyle Schwarber got paid by Dave Dombrowski and the Phillies in part because of his demeanor and in the clubhouse and on the field in big moments. So I would disagree that clutch does not pay myself.
2: Okay. Well, I wouldn't say that what you just described isn't necessarily clutch like his, who he is in the clubhouse is not clutch. I know, but it's part. Um,
1: but it, I, I, I do believe that it's part of it. Um, it part so, of. But
2: you're saying you're saying postseason experience. He's been because he's used to being in the moment, and I do agree. Like postseason experience matters, and that was why a lot of guys who got brought into you know the clubhouse this year. We've talked about it. It's bringing a winning culture. But again, that's not clutches. That's having been in that situation, and so there's comfortability in that situation, and so you might have a more steady heartbeat. Um. So yeah, we could get off on a tangent here, um, but I don't, I mean, I don't completely like, I'm not saying there aren't guys who are more comfortable in the moment. Like I was not a high level athlete, but you know, I was a high school athlete and my team was really good. And I, and I think back, like I put myself back in those times. Yes. And I'm like there was certain people I'm like, I loved the big moment. Like I, when there was, fans in the stands that we were, you know, playing in the state championship. Like I lived for that. And I thought there were some players who it made them really nervous. And I cover college football. And, you know, I remember again, getting off on a tangent here, but Chuba Purdy was starting for Nebraska and Mickey Joseph, who was the interim head coach was telling us this guy plays nervous. And so, and, and mm. so that was something they had to work on. And, um and then we totally saw it play out. They ended up losing to Minnesota that game after leading at halftime. And so again, Totally side note. And I do agree that it exists, but I'm just saying it's not necessarily in baseball, like repeatable runners in scoring position.
1: I understand. I understand. Okay. I understand totally. Now I just
2: went off on a 10-minute I,
1: I love it. I, I appreciate the conversation. It, it happens all the time. And part of uh, my uh, understanding of it is based on me as whatever low-level athlete I was and also just watching players. Hell, when Jay Cutler was outside the pocket and Mark Tressman used to say, um, Jay uh, just he loses himself sometimes and makes bad decisions. Or Mitch Trubisky taking a sack by running out of bounds instead of throwing a ball away for a for a six yard loss. Those those kinds of things. Um, I think it's natural to think they exist in baseball too. But that's it. We're done. Uh, We're not going to fight anymore. We can
2: fight at the ballpark. Hopefully I'll see you soon. Yeah,
1: no, I'll I'll just fight with Boog. I mean, really, that's that's what it is. Um, Taylor McGregor, thank you so much. Appreciate the time.
2: Awesome. All right.
1: Thank you, Taylor. It's Taylor McGregor from the Marquee Sports Network. It is uh, Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. Um, One guy who is just starting to seemingly be the best version of himself at the plate is Seiya Suzuki. And Sahad of Sharma, the athletic, wrote a great piece about Seiya earlier Um, today that I was reading and, and checking out about Seiya because it's interesting because one of the things that the Cubs brass loved about Seiya when they scouted him and they decided to sign him was that he rarely swung and missed in Japan and he rarely chased pitches out of the zone. They were like, oh, look, he doesn't chase. Look at that. And now here we are in the big leagues, and he's had a lot of times where he chased. and was like, oh, oh, that's a lot of swing and miss. That's a lot of chase. What the hell is going on? And you've been trying to figure out exactly what's what's going on with him. But what has happened is that he's starting to chase less. And he's starting to be more comfortable. And this is where the kind of soft factors come into play. I mean, they have to. Because what everybody has talked about with Seiya is that he didn't have a spring training. Didn't have it at all. And then he had the oblique that obviously cut off the spring training, but takes a long time to get back. And we've talked about the oblique muscle injury before as something that makes you feel very uncomfortable and lasts for a good long while. That you don't trust for a while. So you don't have the normal swing that you do. You're not able to even just kind of be your normal self. And that maybe now, just sort of finally, Seiya is comfortable with everything. And the production has been there. The numbers have been there. And count me as one person who's happy to have hung on to him on their fantasy baseball team. Um, there's also a lot of personality there, as we know. I wanted people to hear this uh, from Boog Shambi on the Marquee Broadcast the other day. or Was it yesterday? It was yesterday. Um, no, it was two days ago. Two days ago. Two days ago during the win. During the blowout win, not the blowout loss. During the blowout win, this is Boog talking about Seiya, who uh, likened Boog to a, um, a, a famous commercial character because of his footwear.
0: Uh, so you're beef with Seiya. Okay. So I'm downstairs, and he's checking out the spikes that one of the guys are wearing. We get into a conversation through Toy about the spikes. And then he looks at my my sneakers and he said, Can I have your sneakers? And I said, sure. And then I say to Toy, tell him they're size 15. And his eyes get really big. And then he looks at me and Toy says, He says, you're like the guy from McDonald's. <laughs> and I said, Ronald McDonald? And he Doesn't says it back you? to him and then back to Toy and it's, Yes. And I said, you tell him we're feuding. And then he just giggled like you couldn't believe. So he's very pleased with himself. Ronald McDonald. I do have red hair. Doesn't Ronald have red hair? Yeah, he does. Big feet? A big afro and a big afro red hair and big feet. You're like the guy from McDonald's.
1: Say fighting through the language barrier to give it to Boog, and he deserves it. Ronald McDonald with the big shoes and the red hair. Say's got a good personality. Um, and we've heard that now for year and a half. And his interpreter Toy um has a good personality as well. And uh it's a challenge in a clubhouse to have all these different cultures work together and, and fit in with each other. So Um, That comfort level that Saya has and his physical comfort level hopefully translates to continued production because it is necessary. He has to be a powerful version of himself in order for the lineup to make sense. It is me, Matt Spiegel, here with you on Hit and Run on 670 The Score and on the Marquee Sports Network. On Marquee, your pregame is upcoming here on Hit and Run. I've got you for another half hour. We'll check in on the minors on Hayden Wesneski and Kyle Hendricks, among other things, coming up next on 670 The Score.
0: The premier baseball show in Chicago, Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel.
1: Nico lines one toward right. Castellanos going back. That ball's off his glove and up against the fence. Another run is in. Madrigal rounding third, heading home. And he scores. A two run double for Nico Horner and the Cubs lead eight to one. Why the throw didn't come toward the plate, I don't know.
0: Castellanos threw the ball to second base. Had he thrown it to the first baseman as a cutoff man, I don't even know if Madrigal tries to score on that play. Surprising. Oh man, Nico. It's, well, that, he got that that knock there with the double, and just like okay, there's the guy that's our spark, and he is, you know, he's a he loves to play baseball, and it's he's infectious around the dugout, and you know the nice play on defense on Turner there towards the end. Just you know, we didn't we didn't play the cleanest game defensively, but we also didn't give him a whole lot of um, you know second chances uh, or any kind of early leadoff breathing room, so it was nice nice there all the way around from a, just locking things down, and Stroh was, Strow was the, the man tonight for me.
1: That's David Ross talking about Nico Horner and his vibe as a spark plug. Stroman talked about it as well, having Nico back at the top of the order. He is seventh in the National League in batting average with a 304 average. He is a weekly guest on 670 The Score with me, Matt Spiegel, and Danny Parkins. And We enjoy talking to Nico. I think he enjoys talking. He's really thoughtful, really curious as a guy um, and the son of an educator. And he actually, during his time on the injured list, made the most of his time. And we asked him about that, about sitting behind David Ross, what he's learning and what he is sometimes saying.
3: Yeah, send him, Skipper, send him. Um, (laughs) exactly, (laughs) Exactly, exactly no i'm not i'm not doing anything too important but i do like to to watch the game and you know i I think watching the game definitely helps helps your perspective i'm lucky to play every day here Um, but when you're playing every day you do kind of see things just through like your own lens of competing and playing and being out there yourself and when you can kind of take a step back and just watch other people and what they do and things that you like things that you think could be done better just whatever stands out. It's a different way to observe the game. And, um, you know, obviously would rather be playing, but I I still love baseball and being around it. So there's a lot to pick up.
0: Can you give us a specific, like what's something that you've learned or seen from this vantage point?
3: I think the coolest thing is, is, is watching guys pregame work hitting and then watching their at bats. And it's just, it's so hard to ever actually get correlation results wise to what you're working on. But if you can see something that a hitter specifically planned on and then takes into a game against the pitcher or um, mentally and seeing them really committed to it and just kind of being in the at-bat with them. I think that's one of the just the coolest things in our game. And that I know from the other end of it, if you're a hitter and you know that someone in the dugout had like been aware of what you've been working on lately, what you really believe in, you have that conviction and then whether you get a knock or not to, to execute that in the game, it just it adds a layer of accountability when you know someone else is really like in the box with you and, that's, a, that's just such a cool feeling.
1: It's it's interesting. Tough to get correlation during a game to something you're actually working at before yeah. the game. What a, what a what a ridiculous sport this is, Nico. Yeah,
3: I mean, on the pitching side, obviously, uh, it's basically a different sport. But they, you know, you get to start with the ball, um, so you kind of get a little more dictated a little bit more. I mean, we play the only sport where the offense or the the defense holds the ball, right? So you're you're um, you don't really get to choose what goes on a lot of the time, but you can control how you prepare and, and you know, how convicted you are to that in the game. And it helps to have other people with you on that. Cause it can be definitely maddening at times.
1: <laughs> we were, um, we were talking about the play that Trey Mancini and Dansby Swanson pulled off for the double play. Oh, yeah.
3: That was awesome.
1: It, was, it wasn't. So, you know, as you're watching that, the instincts that it takes, what, what are you thinking about? Like, the way they executed that seemed perfect, and we've all seen it happen terribly for decades.
3: Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so much harder than it looks, but um, it's it's a kind of play where everyone in the dugout stands up and everyone's screaming a different thing and all at once, like, two, one, three, like, everyone is just all over the place, and then we all get excited at the end of it. But just the chaos in the dugout, I feel like, it kind of reflects just how many different ways you can go about something like that and, uh, you know, it was a huge play in that game, and after that play, I really thought we had a, a good chance to win that game. It was a, a huge turning point, obviously with Alvarez up, and um, just a, a good baseball play all around.
1: So that was fun to talk to Nico Horner. It always is every Tuesday on this radio station. in Hap is on, and Nico Horner uh, is on. Um, Trey Mancini will be playing some more first base. Matt Mervis will be playing some more first base. Uh, But Eric Hosmer will not be. Designated for assignment uh, was Eric Hosmer. And it's interesting. I wondered how long they would go with that. I openly wondered and talked about how long he had been, I don't want to say promised, but kind of told that they'd give him a chance. It's a big deal for Eric Hosmer, a guy of that vintage, of that age, to decide to come here and then have that end before the end of May. And I know he's at, you know, uh, a point in his career where it's not like he has all the choices and all the options, but he had options. He definitely had options. Because remember, he's making the minimum because the Red Sox and the Padres are picking up so much of that money, all of that money. He's making the major league minimum. So there are a bunch of teams that would have won him. He chose the Cubs to come here and be part of something, knowing he'd be a part-time player. And then that number went even further down, the number of at-bats that are possible because of Matt Mervis's call-up. But he was told that he would stick around. And he got one start, and it really didn't go well. And then everybody knew that he shouldn't really have many more starts. And then it becomes a question of, well, who's really giving me value? Miles Mastroboni can run and steal a base. Miles Mastroboni can play multiple positions. He's at third base today. Um, So it's not like I love having Miles Mastroboni on a big league team, but I certainly find him to be more useful at the bottom of a roster than Eric Hosmer. And so Eric Hosmer had to go, and it was time. So the flurry of moves is is very interesting to me because of the central conundrum of this season, which is – Are they a contender or not? Does the front office see them as contenders or not? As I watch the games, should I be thinking of them as contenders or not? You you have that conundrum sometimes. Well, they're just kind of on their way. And you want to be happy that they're on their way and taking a step forward. But you're also investing time watching games. And you're wondering if it's going to be a possible playoff atmosphere. They should be going for it. I'm not saying by they should be going for it, that they should make some big trade at the deadline, but they should give themselves a chance to be in position to consider making a big trade at the deadline. You feel me? And that means you bring up Morel. They're late on that. You bring up Mervis. I don't know if, how late they are on that. Maybe a little late as well. You get aggressive with your moves with the bullpen. I thought there'd be a street-free agent signed By now, Corey Knable is the one who's out there. Um, At the very least, you want to see a shuffling of who gets your high leverage chances. I have a closer depth chart around baseball that I look at all the time, right? Um, And it's, you know, for those of us who play fantasy baseball, I click on it every once in a while. It shows everybody's closer, everybody's primary setup man, and everybody to keep an eye on. And it's got a good, honest take um, about who the actual closer seems to be. And for the Cubs right now, it's listed as closer by committee. Mark Leiter Jr., Adbert Alzalei, Michael Fulmer, Brad Boxberger, even though he's hurt. This from May 15th. It's tough to tell who the Cubs' closer is, considering they haven't had a traditional save chance since May 6th. Is it Leiter? This is from ESPN. Is it Leiter's usage? Hints that he's at the front of what's a possible closer by committee. Who would you go with? I'd go with Adbert, but the thing is, I love Adbert in the bulk role, so I'd probably go with Lighter. Or maybe I'd uh, give Fulmer another chance. He's the only one with closer stuff, right? He's the only one with closer stuff. And before he gave up the bomb to Alex Bregman, that would have been a home run. I think in it was like three. Tw- yeah, exactly. Three out of thirty ballparks. Um. Fulmer had actually had a run of like seven good appearances out of eight, seven out of eight, something like that. And his sweeper was looking really good. Like even in that at bat to Bregman, the first pitch he threw, started on Bregman, hit the back corner on the outside. I was as surprised by that home run as Fulmer seemed to be. Yeah, he was very, very very surprised. So there are changes that can still be made with usage, uh, but then they need to get some other people into that bullpen. That's for sure. Kyle Hendricks made a start with Iowa last night. We're going to talk to somebody who watched it in a moment. Um, he said that he hopes that this will be his last rehab start from last night
0: because he felt pretty good. Possibility that this could be the last rehab start if you feel good tomorrow? I think so, yeah. Well, you know, we got to see what they say up top. But yeah. I feel really good. We'll see how we bounce back tomorrow. Talk to them and see what see where they're at, you know. Um they're up there they're grinding playing pretty good up and down so hopefully whenever they want me whenever I go I'm just ready to step right in and be that consistent guy for them
1: so that's Kyle Hendricks one more from Kyle from last night where he talked about the catcher Miguel Amaya who's new to AAA he had been at AA then he came up to the Cubs then he went back to AAA so a promotion of sorts upon demotion if that makes any sense but Hendricks uh, loved working with Miguel Amaya
0: it brings the energy a little yeah. bit. Yeah, it was an awesome crowd out there. Having Vince over there, you know, it was like a throwback a little bit <laughs> a few years ago. Um, but, no, it definitely brought some more energy to it. Just really good. I mean, all around team-wise, there were some great plays out there. Brennan throwing somebody out at home. Like, it was just a really good game all around. Just what Mickey did behind the plate, Amaya, he was unbelievable. We were on the same page. He was just so good and so calm and quiet. Just such a good demeanor that helps you get through the game and get through the lineup three times. So, I, I got to thank him a lot.
1: Oh, God. Kyle doesn't mean to do it. Um, But when he says, such a good demeanor, so calm and so quiet, it's the anti-Contreras sentiment. It's impossible not to hear. I, I wish someday I'll stop hearing praise of other catchers' demeanor and their calm, quiet behind the plate. Someday I'll start hearing that as just praise for that catcher, but it's not yet. I just hear it as that freaking twitchy Chaotic guy who's no longer here. I'm thrilled not to throw to him. (laughs) Sorry, Wilson. But he's doing well for the Cardinals. Good for him. And eh, good for him. I got nothing against Wilson. It just is what it is. Let's go out to the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And that's where we find Jack McMullen from Just Baseball, a very popular podcast. Hell, they're huge on TikTok. I don't even know the number of viewers they have on TikTok. Jack's um, day job, or is it night job? I don't know. Is it night job? is the AAA broadcaster for the Indianapolis Indians. But if I have this correct, Jack, you were off last night and chose to attend a doubleheader at your own ballpark because you like baseball. Do I have that correct? I like baseball,
4: and I'm a loser. Is that right? (laughs) Um, Hey, first and foremost, you have the best call screener in the industry. Can we get that out of the way? Yeah, he's
1: good, isn't he? I know. Really good. He's young. He's a little green. Um but he's learning. He he's definitely learning and uh yeah, he said he enjoyed talking to you. And you are typed up on my uh phone here as just Jack with um okay. with four lowercase letters. That's who I'm talking to.
4: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, man. I uh I went to the ballpark yesterday and what was nice was like I I actually walked around a little bit. Did some college baseball. I did, what, Ball State and Kent State, some action, and I had the evening off. So I got Kyle Hendricks against Vince Velasquez, and then I got Hayden Wesneski in game two. So it was double trouble, and I saw the entirety of Hendricks start, and then I saw Wesneski. It it was a really unique experience, because usually between doubleheaders, when you're calling it, right, like it's a mad dash to get your scorebook filled out and all that, and you're not paying attention. You come up for air for the first pitch. But, like, I went and sat directly – next to the the Iowa bullpen, and I watched Wisniewski warm up, and then I sat behind home, and I watched Wisniewski pitch. It was a really unique opportunity, man. So, yeah, call me a loser all you want, but I'm grateful I did it.
1: Um, For the record, you called yourself a loser. I will not take uh, ownership of that. I just I was calling out your love of baseball, and I know your love of pitching uh, very well. Um, So tell me what you saw from Wisniewski, who was effective last night, he was kind of a disaster up here, Jack, um, and it was really disappointing. And people were wondering whether the sweeper kind of messed him up because velocity was down up here. The swing and miss uh, stuff did not really show up in the big leagues, and that and that was kind of troubling this year.
4: Well, I thought the weirdest thing in regards to Wisniewski was the fastball profile in terms of velo, in terms of spin, in terms of vertical break and horizontal break, like – It all looked the same. The fastball data looked the same. So how do opponents go from hitting a buck 20 against it last year to over 400 this year? And that was the thing that kind of threw me. But I guess when you're talking a a guy that, you know, may lack some confidence because he's trying to, you know, find this sweeper feel that he had last year. Right. That was an elevated slider last year. It turns into a concrete sweeper this year. You know, maybe that messes with the fastball a little bit. And, you know, I'm sure you talk often about the difference between control and command. This guy was so confident last year that he had excellent command. He probably lacked some command at the big league level. And to be honest, man, he lacked some command in his bullpen pregame. He lacked some command in the early goings. He walked four, Hmm. but he threw five no-hit innings. So I've got good takeaway, bad takeaway, and then bad takeaway turning into good takeaway. Good takeaway was five no-hit innings. Bad takeaway was four walks and a lot of hard contact early. The bad takeaway turning into good was this guy had no feel for that sweeper at all in the bullpen, and and he was actually one of the most visibly frustrated guys that I've ever watched throw a bullpen. Like, he was emotive during his pen, but his ability to figure that out and go five scoreless, five no-hit is really impressive. So, like, when he's got his B stuff, how do you get through it? I thought that was a very mature outing from Wes having the success he did after a rough pregame bullpen, and I'm sure he would tell you that, and, you know, working around some early command issues.
1: Yeah, that's, that's good stuff, because the minors is where you got to work on that. Um, and if if he like takes a step during an outing like that and then follows it up in the next outing and the next outing after that, that's the kind of thing that gets you recalled. You know, I'm not saying that happened, but that's, that's what they're looking for. Jack, I want you to hear something about these two pitchers that we're talking about. I don't know if you caught this. This is about a week and a half ago when Kyle Hendricks was up with the big club and he threw a bullpen and Hayden Wesneski watched Kyle Hendricks throw the bullpen and he was in awe. He he talked about it. Listen to Woznieski talking about Hendricks.
3: Man, it, uh,
4: it is one of my f- favorite bullpens I've ever seen. It's it's impressive. It's I'm a little nerd out a little bit, but like he throws he throws pitches. He'll throw his pitch and, and he lands in the same spot. It, both of his feet do, it's like boom boom, and then he goes one two three. Stands behind the mound rubber on the behind the rubber, gets on the rubber again, does it all over again. It's, it's the most incredible thing I've ever seen, and. Um, just that's something like you hear of guys being like, oh, he uh, his bullpens are really good. And like, he's he's almost a robot and stuff like that. And you're like, OK, like, uh, whatever. And then you finally get to see something that I guess beautiful. It's yeah. so I, I did learn just what a professional looks like.
1: Beautiful. Jack, <laughs> he's, a, he's in awe of Kyle Hendricks mechanics and his ability to repeat everything about the entire process to the point that he calls it beautiful. Is that adorable or what?
4: That's so cute, and Hayden Wisniewski immediately just became my favorite baseball fan, let alone pitcher, for geeking out the way he did about Hendricks. Because, like, I geeked out that same way about Hendricks. I geeked out that way about Mark Burley, right? Every Cubs fan loved Kyle Hendricks. Why? Because he was a robot in the best way. Like, the the thing about pitching is you want to do the same exact movement with your body 100 times every fifth day. Yep. And if Kyle Hendricks is doing the same exact thing in a bullpen, what's he going to do when he gets on the hill in a game setting? Like, that's not going to waver. That's why this guy has been so good for so long. And I know that obviously the numbers would indicate that he's tapering off a little bit. But you've got to remember, like, vintage Hendricks
1: was a robot and he was an amazing robot. He won the ERA. It looks
4: like if it goes
1: well. Yes, yes, he was he was AI in a good way. He he won the ERA title in 16. He beat Kershaw in game 6 of the NLCS to go to the World Series. Yeah, all of that. And it is I talk about it a lot, the repeatable mechanics. Just what you just said about those 100 pitches uh, every 5 days. When I'm playing bags, Jack, I really try to be the Kyle Hendricks of bags. You know what I, I, I mean? Get it. And and how is that working for you? Not so well. Thanks for asking. So how was it? How was it watching Hendricks uh, last night in the first game? It
4: unlocked some of that childlike joy that I had in high school watching Kyle Hendricks, which is really cool. Like, that's not something I feel often. And now I derive a lot of the joy from watching starting pitching prospects in the minor leagues. Like, hey. You know, I got to watch Gavin Williams, who topped at 101 for Columbus. He's a Guardians prospect. He's, you know, one of the best starting pitching prospects in baseball. I watched Yuri Perez's MLB debut. I'm going to watch Bobby Miller, Illinois kid's MLB debut for the Dodgers on Tuesday. Like, that's where I get my enjoyment from because those guys are freak athletes and I like watching it. But that unlocked a feeling that I remember having when I was 15 years old, watching Kyle Hendricks for the first time. I was like, man, you know, he's sending big league bats back to the dugout. And they're asking the same thing that high school bats are asking about the kid that throws in the high sixties, low seventies, right? Like how did he get me out? Mm. And I think that's what triple a hitters are asking about Kyle Hendricks, but they should know this. This guy's making like $14 million this year because he just knows how to get people out. Like he was sitting 87 with that sinker. That change up is at 80. The curveball's in the low to mid seventies, but like, Dude, the changeup, he got 18 swings. I want to say seven whiffs on those 18 swings. Hmm. Hendricks looked vintage Hendricks, which, you know, obviously, like, you can't expect that. You can't expect the RA title Hendricks in 2023, but you can expect to have fun when watching him. And I hope that, you know, he almost turns back the clock a little bit for Cubs fans and, and they derive that enjoyment that they remember having in 2015, 16, 17 and so on when Hendricks was here.
1: That's uh, that's good stuff. I think a lot of people are hoping that there is one more run of excellence for Kyle Hendricks in a Cubs uniform. Jack McMullen of Just Baseball, thanks so much. Going to put you on hold so you can say hello to the call screener one more time um, on on your way out because I know you guys have a bond.
4: Perfect. That was my favorite part of this.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks. I mean, I'm right here. Put him on hold if you would. Put him on hold. By the way, um, the PGA Championship is your competition for Cubs baseball and White Sox baseball this afternoon. And Brooks Kepka is the leader at six under par, um, followed by Victor Hovland, Corey Connors, and Bryson DeChambeau. Anybody but Bryson is how some of us are rooting. PGA Championship updates on the score are presented by the BMW Championship-hosted at Olympia Fields Country Club this August. So that will be pretty cool in August. Thank you so much for listening to Hit and Run here on 670 The Score. Been an absolute pleasure today. Um, Lots of folks to thank. Thank you to Jack McMullen, he just heard right there. Taylor McGregor from the Marquee Sports Network joined us at 11 o'clock. Justin Stone, if you like to geek out about hitting at all, or know somebody that does, direct them to Justin Stone in that conversation from 1020. And the great Chris Kampka was on the show at 940. Thanks to Sean Sears for doing a great job producing as he always does. Thanks additionally today to Alex Kuhn for stepping in and helping us connect with Marquee for the first of what we hope will be many simulcasts with the Marquee Sports Network. Thank you to Mike Santini and everybody over at Marquee. For their assistance and willingness to do that. Thank you, of course, to Mitch Rosen for the same right here at 670 The Score. Thanks to Kevin Lapka for coming in and helping us out with uh, the Twitch feed that became the marquee feed today. So thank you very much, Kevin. And thank you for keeping the cameras high enough so it didn't pick up the blood that's on my shirt. As I cut my arm at some point, I don't even remember, and bled on my shirt. Is that what you need the paper towels for? Uh, Yes. Yes, it is. Gotta stay uh, stay blood free. Well, oh, I couldn't tell it all. You're just such a pro. That's you know, Sean. Say that again to a lot of people. Appreciate it, of course, man. It's a voice play. Oh wait, you just did. I guess you just did. Thanks, everybody. Zach Zaidman has your Cubs pregame coming up from Philly. It is Taiwan Walker against Justin Steele in a matter of moments right here on six seventy. The score. <laughs>